Hello and welcome to Radio Free Nintendo. This is episode 392. I'm your host, Jonathan Metz, and with me as always, substitute teacher James Jones. Best teacher. <laughs> the uh, the uh, class favorite, Mr. Guillaume Veillette. Indeed, I was a teacher's pet. And the jester himself. No, not the jester, the dunce. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking of the kid <laughs> with a hat. Uh, Mr. John Lindemann. Johnny, show me some respect. I'm an accomplished gamer with years of experience. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> what is that reference from? Is that from a gaff post or something? I think it's someone who posted that on the on Steam. Yeah, somebody posted on, on somebody post okay. reposted that on Twitter, but it's hysterical. I yeah. saw that somewhere this week. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, it's very good to be back. Thank you, James and uh, and John and Gee for holding it down last week. You guys did an awesome job. I, I'm glad I got to join for as much as I did. Uh, but uh, it always hurts to miss the show, and I'm very glad to be back. In the meantime, I did go on because uh, it was on a completely different day of the week. But I did get to uh, record with Player One Podcast. And uh, that was so much fun, and I uh, really appreciate those guys inviting me on. Hopefully, I get to do it again sometime, and uh, we'll get them on this show sooner or later. Um, but it was so, really fun, and, and I hope uh, people get a chance to listen to that. So, uh, they didn't say it on the show, but did something happen to Mike halfway through? Yeah, it was it was edited a little bit funny, but yeah, Mike just uh, crapped out his internet, and so he wasn't able to come back. Apparently, this okay. happens a lot. Because I've seen some accusations um, on uh, Neil Gaff that maybe like he was disgusted by all the Nintendo talk. Oh, it's no. just I'm out of here. <laughs> no, Mike was really nice. He was joining in. He was participating and all that stuff. So uh, no, he just uh, was not able to rejoin, unfortunately. So mm. anyway, it was super fun. Very casual, friendly. It was just super, really easy to jump into that and just talk with those guys, you know, because they were they're so friendly and uh, it's a it was a fun atmosphere. So good show. Anyway, we got this show to do. So uh, we're going to be talking about uh, some summer gaming, a little little mini feature coming up later in the show. And uh, depending on how long that takes, we might get some emails too. But first up is new business. I'll go first since I wasn't on the show for uh, this segment last week. I have been playing, thanks to Club Nintendo's uh, gold reward status, I've been playing Donkey Kong 3 on my mm. 3DS. <laughs> oh, lucky you. I know. Uh... <laughs> it's been a big time the past week. Um, Donkey Kong 3 is uh, really an arcade game. You know, I think, you know, much like uh, the, the the original and Donkey Kong Jr., it's really devised around, like, very short play experiences, get as far as you can before you die, and try to get a high score. It's not much of a, I mean, as a console game or as a handheld game, it's like, it feels like a mini game, really. There's a couple of different levels. They don't play drastically differently from each other. Um but, it, you know, it, it's also – it's a weird game in that it doesn't play anything like the first two Donkey Kongs. I guess you could argue that – I mean, it's it's probably a nice uh, characteristic of that series that the first three games are all very different from each other. But Donkey Kong 3, I would say, is the least interesting of the three. 
because the first two games at least have you trying to you're trying to get from one place to another. I mean, they are platformers. They're very crude early platformers, and they're not the controls aren't nearly as good as like Super Mario Brothers that came a couple years later. But there are games where you move a character and you're trying to get somewhere and there's obstacles in the way. I mean, there's something satisfying about that progression. It always feels like you're moving forward. and It feels like the levels are the game. You know, like you're playing through the level. Uh, and in Donkey Kong 3, it's more like a shoot-em-up kind of a vertical. Uh, Phil Theobald on Player One uh, referred to it as like a Galaga remake. Uh, or Galaga inspired. And I'd never thought about it that way, but I thought that was really a, a clever description because it is very similar. You're just playing this guy Stanley with bug spray. You can only shoot it straight up. You can only move left and right and jump. And, uh, and you've got these bugs coming down. You've also got Donkey Kong hanging right in the middle of the screen. You have to spray him with your bug spray to push him up the rope. Well, it's just, it's funny to hear, you know, the, the Galaga comparison because I mean, Donkey Kong, was an attempt to replace uh, Radar Scope, which was a you know not Galaga clone, but a Space Invaders clone. Like they they were getting think, away from that because those uh, kind of shooter games were a little bit passe in the uh, in North America. Yeah. So when they brought Radar Scope here, which was a decent success in uh, in Japan, um, it just didn't really catch on over here. So they had to scramble and find a new use for these uh, unused uh, arcade cabinets. Well, I have to admit, I've never really looked into Radar Scope. I've, you know, I know the name from Nintendo lore, but I've never really played it or, or taken a look at it. But I always thought it was a, a remake or kind of a, a rip off of Missile Command. No, 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 no. It's a uh, you're 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 a small spaceship at the bottom of the screen, and you shoot really? at the ships coming from the top of the screen. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, of course, that kind of game did sort of come back later in the '80s. I think. Uh, you know, Galaga was about what, 83, 82, 83, but then Galac, uh, not Gaplos, I think was soon after that. Um, there were several, they, they, they did become more of a console thing later on, you know, with stuff like Gradius and, uh, Life Force, Salamander. Um, those were, I think there were arcade versions at least of maybe the first Gradius, but I think that became a console series very, very quickly. Anyway, Donkey Kong 3 just isn't as good as any of the games we just mentioned. It's <laughs> it's not it's probably one of the worst Nintendo games. I mean, it's fun, but it's really simple. A lot of times the, you know, when you die, it feels kind of arbitrary because the enemies move in completely random patterns and you have to get up. Like it's an interesting idea that you have to um push Donkey Kong up to the top of the level with your spray because in order to do that you have to get right up underneath him and like be jumping and shooting just to get it to reach him once he gets towards the top and it's really hard to do when you've got enemies coming at you from all these different sides but that's really the only interesting thing in the game I mean otherwise it's it's really pretty frustrating because the enemies move very randomly and your character doesn't have uh, I guess you're pretty mobile but your attacks are pathetic you can only attack from underneath pointing upward and uh, as you've got enemies coming in from the sides, in the later levels, they'll just surround you. And it's like, it's really, really hard to get away from them. And uh, it doesn't really feel very fair. It feels like you're really outmatched. And they're asking you to do a, a pretty absurd uh, thing to beat the level um, by like staying up there and like spraying him nonstop. I I've played a lot of levels in it um, that I feel like you could almost only beat by getting the power up. And so sometimes there'll be a little... Uh, can of like super bug spray that's up near the top of the level and you have to push donkey Kong up high enough to knock that down and grab it 
Um, and that thing makes the rest of the level super easy. Like it's a crazy overpowered power up, but, uh, it doesn't appear on every level and, you know, you're going to get it anyway because it's on the way to beating the level as Donkey Kong climbs up these ropes. So it doesn't even feel like you have to, it's not like you have to risk something to go out of the way to get it or do something especially skillful in order to earn this reward that will then, it you know, make the rest of the level easier or something. It's all very weird. It just doesn't seem especially well thought out. I mean, it looks good. I think it's kind of a cute game, and uh, the Donkey Kong sprite looks really good. It looks a lot better than it did in the in the previous two games. Right. But um, there's not much going on here, you know? Like, the screen doesn't even scroll. It's just a really basic thing. Uh, yeah, it, it strikes me as, as the milking of the franchise. You know, <laughs> you, saw, you saw a lot of arcade games do this, you know, in that time period. When you were right. just kind of like, "Come on, guys! Did you really have to make a third game in this series?" Like, yeah. and the, Did we and the need third baby game, baby Pac-Man. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Pac-Man. I was just, I was just going to come out of my mouth. Pac-Man was the worst for that. Super Pac-Man, Baby Pac-Man. I mean, it was just got ridiculous. Pac-World. Yeah. I mean, all these crap that they came out with, just milking franchises. So it doesn't surprise me that this right. is and this one, an early example. Yeah, well, and it came out so late after the other two, right? Because I, I think that this was this came out after. Nintendo kind of won the uh, the lawsuit that uh, pit them against uh, who had the license for King Kong back then. King, uh, oh, it would have been yeah. Universal Studios, I think. Universal Studios, yeah. Well, RKO yeah, maybe, so. right? Maybe. I can't remember who exactly had that. But. Anyway, that was like Howard Lincoln in a federal district court or something, <laughs> arguing for Nintendo, and right. they, and they won, and they established public public domain over that movie. Yeah, which but I think it was previously just... had not been done. Yeah, but it had been so long since Donkey Kong had been a hit. I, you know, I kind of wonder why they bothered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I don't know. This feels like they it was maybe a different game that they slapped the Donkey Kong brand onto or something. I mean, it just doesn't even thematically make any sense for you to be using bug spray. You know, Mario doesn't appear in the game at all. There's no. There's not even a princess. Donkey Kong is just he's hanging out on these ropes, and it doesn't even make sense that he's not bothering anybody. Mm-hmm. Like there's no motive. Like, for I mean, I'm not you know I'm not I'm not Chris Cole. I'm not going to write a book about the story of the first Donkey Kong. But it does have like a basic character motivation, you know. Like you're trying to rescue this girl, and in uh, Donkey Kong Junior has the same thing. You're trying to rescue your father. So uh, Donkey Kong Three just feels like you're this asshole with the bug spray, and you're you know just annoying this animal that's not hurting anybody. Yep. It's really crazy. Well, come on, he's all up in Fuck your uh, savages. your greenhouse, so. <laughs> is that it? He's invading your greenhouse for some reason? Maybe, maybe you're growing no bananas. Idea. This is my obligation to the civilization of the world. <laughs> anyway, so thanks, Nintendo, for the free video game. I I, I appreciate that, uh, but it's, it's not a good one. And if you... You know, if you're a Club Nintendo member and you got one of these awards, if there's anything else that you don't already have, I would probably take that over Donkey Kong 3. Like, even, yeah, so a, no, even a copy of, of, you know, Super Mario Brothers on a system where you don't already have it is probably, you'll probably get more enjoyment out of that than you would yeah. from Donkey Kong 3. This is, this, this definitely uh, knocks that off the potential list. Not that it was high to begin with, but uh, definitely <laughs> it, it, puts, it yeah, puts a stake I mean, in it. I played it a Super couple Mario times Land. when I was a kid, you know, you, I would occasionally see it in an arcade and I'd want to go play it out of curiosity. Cause I was like, wait, there's another donkey Kong. And I'd always come away like, well, that was a lot different. 
you know, but like yeah. I never really liked it that much. And uh, the past few days have been by far the most I've ever played it. And it there's really not much there. Yeah. Mm. I want to know but, how James feels about the numbering of the series. <laughs> <laughs> you going to open that can? I don't give a shit because they didn't start at seven. Oh, okay. Well, they <laughs> started at three. Wrong. <laughs> Technically speaking, this was the third arcade Mario. Okay, game, but they game. still they still started at three. It's completely inconsistent. Okay, that's that's considerably more defensible. Donkey Kong Three, a new a new hope. <laughs> the best part is they went from three to ninety four. It's mm. a well, big jump. Uh, mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Donkey Kong ninety actually Donkey Kong ninety four would be a far better investment than this. And I mean, th- this game sells for five bucks on on the 3DS virtual console for the, the same price or maybe even less, probably like three or $4 you could get Donkey Kong 94 for Game Boy. And it's a far better, far, far more interesting and challenging game than this. But it's free so if you spend hundreds out. of dollars on Nintendo games this year. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've got one more uh, strange thing uh, to talk about, I guess. Uh, I don't need to say much, but I did uh, just, this is kind of a progress report, I guess. On my backlog, uh, this week I decided, well, I've wanted to do this for a long time, but I finally picked back up, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 2 for the Wii U. Uh, might have, I, there was an, there was a moment this week where I thought, you know, I bet in the world at this very moment, I may be the only person playing the campaign for Call of Duty 2 Black, Call of Duty Black Ops 2 on Wii U. But, uh, anyway, you know, it's, these games sold terribly, but as, as you may know, I mean, Black Ops 2 and Ghosts on Wii U were both like really good conversions. And, uh, this game still is impressive. I mean, it's a launch title for Wii U, but I think it still looks good. It's, it plays well. It's very smooth. I've been playing a lot on the gamepad and that works really well. Uh, it's kind of like having a handheld Call of Duty game, which they tried on Vita and failed miserably, but this one's actually good. So, um, this one's been on my backlog for a while because I just never got a, I never sat down long enough to play the campaign. I've tried a couple times and something always, uh, distracts me. It's not that I don't like it, but it really annoys me that I haven't done it just because I know it's probably super short. So, you know, when a game is like four hours long and I've only partially completed it, that drives me crazy. So, uh, I did lose my progress, uh, from the flood incident. So I did have to start all the way over. So, so far I've only been through the first couple missions, which I've seen before. So I don't have anything new to tell you, but, uh, I think even now, almost two years after the system was launched, I think this game looks really nice. I think that it's a very impressive version of it. And, uh, you know, it's been quite a while since I messed around with Call of Duty. I'm not a, an avid fan like John is, but, you know, even just playing the campaign, I say, like, these are, like, impressive action games. Like, they, they've put a lot of thought into, uh, you know, planning out these scenes for, like, maximum craziness. The, uh, the voice acting is very earnest and over the top and crazy. And, uh, you know, I think they do, they probably don't get enough credit for, for, you know, how the links. I mean, I, I feel like they really are, eager to show people that uh that this series can compete with hollywood movies it may be competing with stuff like the expendables 2 like it's probably about that level of intelligence and and wackiness but i mean i think it's up there you know it's 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 a it's a it's a spectacle and i think video gaming needs spectacles on this on the scale at least i don't know that call of duty is really the best representation of what video games can be 
uh, as an art form, but they're, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Michael Bay syndrome. It's like, you know, I don't need to go see Michael Bay movies, but I'm glad someone is like really pushing the technical limits of that stuff because eventually all that will filter down into other things that I like more. And I think Mm -hmm. that's happened with call of duty a lot. Yeah, so I mean, I'm it's not they really pretending to be anything. It. It's not. I mean, it's just it's. Uh, you know, it's just that, that's you go actually in there. not true. After the Snoop Dogg voice back, uh, <laughs> I got I got the Snoop Dogg voice back. By of the way, of course you, you fucking did. It's it's hilarious. It's, but yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's. I mean, it's it is exactly what you think it is. Hilarious, but at the same time, cringeworthy. Yeah, um, but and, and yeah, so I, stupid. They let yeah, Snoop be I, I Snoop. Mean, I mean, God bless Snoop. He's making more money. Good for him. But I mean, Black Ops Two. It's a good game. I mean, and they, I really liked what they did with the campaign, with the um, the strike missions, the ones where you actually you have the overview of the the battlefield and you can kind of zoom down to first person and yeah, determine a- where stuff goes. Those are actually really really cool. Like that's one of the coolest things I've seen in a first person shooter in a long time. Like it's yeah, actually they're... it's actually innovative. I mean, yeah, they're real time strategy stages in Call of Duty. Like, yeah, yeah. It may not be the best thing that series has ever tried, and it may not be the best version of that kind of game, but the fact yeah. that they did that in Call of Duty, I love. I love yeah, that they're it's... willing to be that experimental and, and do something that you can imagine a lot of their fans probably won't like, or at least they've never played before. Maybe they've heard, they've tried these kinds of games before and they didn't work out for them. And, you know, I mean, the blending up real time strategy with first person shooter, especially when it's the first person shooter, is very admirable, I think, and I hope that they bring stuff like that back in uh, in Advanced Warfare, like that. That playing the uh, the first Future stage in Black Ops Two last night, it it made me think. You know, I would love for uh, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, that the one that's coming out this year, I'd love for that to be really good. I'd love for that to be the yeah. best Call of Duty yet. Because it looks, it looks good. Yeah, and and to me, like modern warfare was, you know, had some kind of interesting things in it in terms of the equipment that you used and the the kinds of weird missions they did because they were always they call them modern, but it was always like slightly futuristic. Yeah, and uh, and for me, it always was kind of a tease. I was like, I just want you to take it all the way. You know, if if we're gonna be running around shooting realistic looking people, I would appreciate an extra layer of fantasy on that because. Some of the stuff they do in in uh, in Black Ops Two and Modern Warfare is so grisly, and it it all is like you know they're messing with some like political ideas that they don't maybe fully understand, or at least they don't really give it probably the respect that it that it deserves. Um, and and even just the the way they depict the violence in these games is is all just a, a bit much for me um, in the more realistic settings. I mean, there, the first level um, in the past of Black Ops 2, and you're in Vietnam, in, I, no, it's not Vietnam, it's, uh, oh, it's I don't remember. I, it's in Cuba. No, it's it's one of the African countries. I can't remember which one now, because they, like, they never tell you like very much context at all. Well, for yeah, because they're not going to say, Here, here's a level where you shoot the fuck up out of Zaire. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to say well, that. Well, they do get pretty specific sometimes with locations and time periods, but it's just my point is the presentation of the games is that they want you to be kind of confused and overwhelmed all the time. And so they don't give you a whole lot of backstory before you jump into a level. They don't necessarily tell you everything about where you're going, what you're going to be doing. They want you to like figure it out as you go along. But uh, anyway, the game starts out with you like you're you're like your character's inches away from a dude who's inside of a glass box burning to death and you watch his face as the fire consumes him and as he realizes that he's not going to escape uh 
the situation. And I was like, what the hell are they doing starting a, a video game out like this? And hey, it's drama, buddy. You want drama? You got drama. It's not right? drama. It's, it's just soft. exploitation. Right. I mean, you, you don't know who that guy is. You don't know why you're in this situation. You can't do anything about well, it. It's I mean, just it's not. It's, it's manipulative for for no reason other than just to make you like feel like, wow, this game's serious. Well, I mean, that's this starts is war, back, man. War has changed, started, Johnny. That started back with the original uh, Modern Warfare, where at the very beginning you see them execute a dude, and then yeah. and then they set off a nuke. I mean, it was totally unnecessary stuff. Well, uh, this is completely different though, because in that game, and I like that game, and I like the story in that game. The second one totally lost me, but in the first Modern Warfare. I like the story because the scene where the guy gets executed, there's a long, there's like a five, ten minute build up before that point where you're playing as that character and you're hearing all the stuff around him and you see what, where he is and what he's going through and you start to figure out why he's there and then they execute him. And yes, it's still manipulative and it's still done a lot for shock value, but he is an important character in that story and they spend plenty of time establishing who he is and why this is happening to him. But when you burn a man alive who you never find out who he is, you don't even know where you are when this is happening or what's going on. It's just people yelling and gun and like bullets whizzing over overhead and you're looking at this guy and his skin is peeling off. And I'm, it's like, really? That's the very first thing you see in the game is once you start playing it. Uh, I, I didn't care for that. And I, and I hope stuff like Advanced Warfare is far enough removed from reality that they don't feel the need to try to impress that kind of thing on you. I mean, maybe they'll take it as license to be more extreme, but what I'm hoping is that it, it sort of, you know, it lets them tell whatever story they want without having to, uh, go so over the top with like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the intent is behind stuff like this, but it, I, it just really stuck out at me. I don't even, I couldn't have even told you that that happened from the first time I played it. Either I wasn't paying attention or, you know, I, I was looking for other things <clears throat> at that time, but this time I was like, wow, this is, really extreme yeah and, well the and thing it is seems unnecessary the thing is yeah i mean the, the 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 fact is that the stories they tell aren't very complex so they don't need to like they just don't need to do it to tell their story and they're they aren't like they aren't doing that to layer any anything onto their story or make their or, or add depth to their character's no. experience it's just gratuitous so yeah i mean i don't it's, even remember that but i'm i'm block out i i pretty much dump most call most uh, cod stories as soon as they're over so yeah, they're they're I guess you might say pulpy. They're they're just really over the top, and uh, you know it, it, you're right. They are simple stories. I mean, I think the games try to gussy them up a lot with detail and gore, mm -hmm. and you know these all these surprising, shocking moments of of violence or of uh, you know betrayal or whatever. But they're really not that complicated. Well, I mean, it really, and to that same extent, the stuff you talked about earlier, they they things like set pieces blowing up. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that really is, I don't want to say it is dimini dimini diminishing of the story, but it is, it is certainly a way that they create interest as opposed to having complex plot. Yeah, like, I, I mean, mean they, they use that the way a horror movie uses jump scares. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, was it, was it the second Modern Warfare game where you went through, I can't remember what US city it was, and they just blew the fuck up out of it? Like the whole. That was DC. I think that yeah. was Washington, D.C. You're going that through all DC? these residential that, If that was D.C., that's the worst D.C. I've ever seen. That's like <laughs> that's like Space Lincoln bad D.C. Oh, my God. Well, I think it was the suburbs, but yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's still really You go from bad. the suburbs to the White House, and you have to, like, dig out the vice president or something out of the White oh House. Oh, my God. It's no yeah. conduit, I'll tell you that. Uh, you, know, you know what? Very similar storylines <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Uh, All right, well, let's move on to uh, what Mr. Vayette has been playing. Yeah, well, going back to arcade games, um, uh, Nintendo released recently Mr. Driller 2 on the GBA Wii U VC. Ah. That's a lot of acronyms. Um, so I, I jumped games. on that. I had never played. Yeah, I, I had never really played a Mr. Driller game, and I, I, I don't know. I didn't do any research. I was kind of desperate to find something new to talk about for this podcast. So I was like, Yeah, sure, Mr. Driller Two. It's probably better than one, and probably you know full featured and everything. Nope. Um, but it turns out I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, the, the game itself. Uh, if you're like me and you had never played a Mr. Driller game, is pretty simple you're constantly uh going down these tunnels that are about i don't know like eight blocks wide and you've got these various shapes of various colors um and you're kind of digging through them and if you dig through one part of a block which can be of basically any size like it's kind of um it kind of looks like a puzzle game it kind of reminds you of tetris but the blocks can be like they're not limited to just you know four uh they're not tetraminos, like they're not, um, they, they, they can be absolutely huge or they can be just like one by one blocks. So if you drill one color, basically the whole thing disappears, the whole block. And so the challenge is trying to dig your way through to the next air capsule because your air supply is going down continually and at a very fast pace. And you're drilling down and you're trying to not have the ceiling crush you. Uh, but the, 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 the graphics are super colorful. Mr. Driller himself, like this is a Namco game. So he, he kind of looks like a mix of Astro Boy and, uh, and Pac-Man. His eyes are just huge. His pupils are, are just huge. I guess maybe to better see in the dark. In a way, it's a very realistic game. Um, and, and, uh, I don't know. It's very colorful, but at the same time, super stressful and really, really difficult. Uh, because every time that you drill something, there's always a chance that the blocks that you didn't drill before, um, that are over your head are gonna just fall on you and crush you. Like there's, yeah, they, they don't, they don't disappear as soon as they leave the screen. Everything that you've seen can come back and just, uh, crush you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so it, it's, it's really fast paced and, and it it looks like a puzzle game, but I, I never really have time to just sit down and kind of puzzle my way through it. Like, there's never any time to think. You have to constantly drill. Every time I've tried to kind of plan my moves ahead of time, uh, I, I, I've died well, very yeah, quickly. I remember it being very fast-paced from the very little I played. I don't even remember what version that was. It might have been PS1? Was well, let, let, let me tell you, let me tell you, according to my review of Mr. Driller 2 posted on May 15th, 2005, I said, and, oh, I, wow. and, and I quote, it can't seem to decide if it wants to be an action game or a puzzle game. Hmm. <laughs> think well, about, think about that. I'd rather not. I... Marinate on that for a minute. <laughs> no. Like, to be honest, I think this is very clearly an action game. I mean, it might look yeah, John. like... A puzzle game, but just <laughs> no. I, I, except for well, anyway, I, I'll, I'll get to maybe some certain puzzle elements later. But uh, in Mr. Driller Two, there's uh, an endless mode, 
uh, just like puzzle games. Okay, maybe, maybe you got a point. And you do have kind of a time attack mode where you are trying to beat a, a set time and you, you go through these discrete levels um, and, and you're, you're kind of going from like time bonus to time bonus and uh, try to make it to... Uh, to the you know to the end of the level in time uh, but there's only like about 10 of those levels and then uh, from what I've read on Wikipedia because I haven't been good enough to unlock them all uh, then you you unlock reverse courses and uh, you've also got a mission mode where there's three countries I think India the US and uh, I didn't even look at the hard one um, and, and so you've got these uh, these levels that you have to go through different depths and even the India one, which is the beginner level and which is kind of the shortest distance that you have to uh, to cover, uh, very, very difficult. It took me an evening to get through it. And I haven't been able to beat uh, the U.S. Um, level. So I don't know. Like it kind of feels in Mr. Driller 2 that there's a lack of modes, uh, a lack of, of levels, and uh, there's two playable characters. I think there's some supposed to be subtle differences between them, but I, I just... Is it Mez Driller? Uh, no, it's uh, the 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 main character is called Susumu, and uh, <laughs> the uh, the girl is Anna, and she's his uh, German German rival. So there you go. There's, everybody has one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wilhelm is my. Uh, I hate that guy. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's a dearth of modes, and I, I just like you're you're kind of thrown into the game, and there's not a whole lot of uh, of explanation as to what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to solve quote unquote these levels. You're, you're kind of just expected to already know t how to play the game, and it's really not newcomer friendly. And I was looking up online: are there strategies for this game? Like, are there things that I should be looking out for? Uh, just general strategies. Kind of like, I don't know, like when you're learning Picross, you kind of learn, okay, well, when I'm in this situation, this is what works best, or this is how you kind of get around the fact that you don't seem to have all the um, information that you need to go ahead. So I was looking for ge just general tips, and I couldn't find anything. Um, but then as I was doing my research, I also realized that uh, Mr. Driller 2 is was a launch GBA game in Japan. So that kind of explains why it looks kind of ugly, and even and though like it's very was two thousand five, two thousand five. Yep, it it took like four years what to the come hell? to North America. Yeah, it was yep. released in April two thousand five. Yep, and I must say, Namco making a mediocre launch game that never happens. That's so surprising. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it took four years for John to review it. <laughs> oh, James, James, uh. you. No, they just sat on it for four years. <laughs> but yeah, so um, just a very simple version of the game. And, and turns out that I I, I, ha I was going to have a whole rant about how, like, oh, Nemco should really be bringing an updated version of Mr. Driller to the Wii U. Like, now that Nintendo has these um, decent uh, electronic, sh you know, like eShops, why isn't Nemco taking advantage of it. But mm -hmm. then, as I was doing my research, I realized, oh, they already did. There's a DSiWare game, and there's a WiiWare game, and they're both more full of content and better oh. than Mr. Driller 2. Yep. Nice. So, there's really no reason to get the Wii U, uh, the, the GBA version on Wii U, because you don't have true portability 
you can have way better than just off-screen play if you buy the DSiWare game, and it's just it seems to be the the most recent of those three versions, and it seems to be the most full-featured. You've got more playable characters. They've got different characteristics. Like um, Mr. Driller can only jump on blocks of you know one height, like one uh, one by one blocks. But there's like uh, other characters that can jump like two blocks, and there are others that can survive being crushed once. And there are others, you know, they've got different characteristics, and they make the game a little bit easier. And they've also got, they seem to have more incremental um, difficulty levels. So uh, mm. I actually downloaded the DSiWare version, and I'm super pleased with it. Nice. Yeah, and, and just lest people forget, uh, you can download DSiWare on the 3DS eShop. So yeah, it's, it's not no extra not, hoops to jump through. You don't have to use friggin' Wii mode or anything crazy like that. Exactly. Just like any other 3DS game, except it's cheaper. Yeah, and you've got your uh, icon right in your uh, 3DS menu, so it's it's perfect. And it's yep. the cheapest version of them all. Yeah. It's five dollars, so go for it. Nice. And yeah, I just want to come back very quickly on the game and Wario and Tomodachi Life, a game that I pro I've. Tomodachi Life, I've probably put like 60, 70 hours in it. I, Holy I, I, crap. I need, wow. I need to stop. I need to find something else. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find something else. more like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to find something else that, like, that's <laughs> a time sink and super grindy. Like, maybe I'm going to finally take up Rune Factory uh, or something. <laughs> I, I don't know, but anything to play something else. Something uh, to replace the grind. Yeah, I, I, someone on Twitter asked me, like, how can this game still have legs for you? I was bored after five hours. It started repeating itself, and, you know, yeah, I was Yeah, me done. too. And That's how I feel. I mean, I like it, but I, it's, you know, I've played this even less than Animal Crossing. Right. Well, I, I really think it's because, you know, the girlfriend was playing it so much, and we kept showing each other, like, oh, this is what's happening in my game, and this is what this guy is doing. It's so stupid in my game, you know. Mm -hmm. And we, we would feed the game our in-jokes. And then we would kind of take in jokes back from it. Like sometimes when we're <laughs> just, uh, we don't really have anything clever or like when we're saying platitudes to each other, which happens from time to time, we just say it a very, in a very monotone, you know, Tomodachi-esque voice. And, uh, <laughs> this change of scenery is always nice, you know, um, and things like that. So it's just like we, we've gotten oh. a lot of, a lot out of that game and I'm very pleased to have played it. And also like one of the end goals, like if, if you, you know, for people at home who need something to work up to, uh, you can get maybe like Johnny's, uh, me on your game and then just give him, uh, I think it's a thousand dollars or $10,000 and give him a trip to space. That's oh, what I yeah, did. Do that. Yeah. So you've, uh, you've walked on Mars, um, Johnny, so basically so, you're uh, saying get Johnny in your game and then give him money to go away. <laughs> exactly. Well, he comes back. He comes back. He gets to keep the astronaut suit. And uh, you, you get also pictures of your, you know, walking on Mars and stuff like that. So oh, that's what I, I did. And that's, you know, let's imagine that that's the end game. Pixar, it didn't happen. I want to see the screenshots, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, I'll send them to you. And also Game & Wario is another game that I'm getting... Something out of, you know, a lot of like, what the hell? <laughs> Getting something of, out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm arrested. A lot of what I the hell know. is going on, and a lot of like, ah, this is so weird. But I, I've noticed that the mini games themselves, I am never all that eager to play them. So I, I can't Great. recommend Good the game. Pitch. 
No, seriously, I, I can't. I am, but then again, like it's not like I, I randomly fire up like we party. Every you. time I turn this game on, I die inside. Gilbert. Well, it's just you know, it's mini game syndrome. Like you, you never really. I don't know. I don't play those by myself, and, and they're, they're the the ones in Game and Wario are kind of mostly single player focused. So it's it's just very strange. It's a strange collection. Um, but you do unlock continually, um, kind of weird toys and weird knickknacks, uh, in a, in a virtual kind of, uh, toy shelf. And, uh, they're kind of fun to play with. And they kind of remind you that, oh yeah, like the Wii U is a really strange and really unique piece of hardware. For instance, like it's really stupid, but one of the things you can unlock is a high tech mirror. And so it's using the camera and the gamepad. And to, you know, replicate a mirror. So, you know, it's not really that Alternatively, special. you could use a mirror. Sure. But what a mirror can't do is show you the bald spot on your head, which I've thoroughly explored on the, the TV screen, because that's what makes it a high-tech mirror. I just, you know, you can move it around. And on the TV, you can see what the camera is seeing. And I don't know. Like, it, it's just weird, because I've never had uh, a webcam on anything other than a laptop. So... Any cameras that I've had have had, like, the screen tethered to them. Um, so it was kind of fun to play with that. Guillaume's making home movies in Wario. Oh yeah. Say, you know. We know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah, there, there's weird stuff. Like, uh, you can, I don't know, weird jokes and weird... So, Guillaume, what do you say? Game and Wario worth your zero dollars? I think it were, they were, it was worth mine. Worth your but selection from the other options, among the other options? I mostly own the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, if you want more of a game experience, go for with NES Remix. And if you've got, you know, if you already mostly own everything else, I would check this out. Because I, the same developer made Game & Wario and Tomodachi Life, and also, you know, classics such as uh, Rhythm Heaven. And I, I think they might be my favorite Nintendo developer, even though they don't necessarily make my favorite Nintendo games. Well, Just well, because of the goofy stuff, well, Rhythm Heaven is really, really amazing. But well, yeah, well, and to be clear, Rhythm Heaven has another outside party involved in its development, so. Yeah. Hmm. There's but, a, yeah, there's a music uh, studio kind music of. Slash music art label. slash chaos in generating studio involved. Sure, yeah. but the same wackiness that you find in Rhythm Heaven, you find in you know, Tomodachi Life and Game and & Wario. And yeah, I, I, I really certainly. appreciate that. you got to appreciate it for what it is. And what it is is perhaps, perhaps not a, a great game, but it's it sure is trying to do some interesting stuff with a Wii U hmm. and, and trying to m- at least make you chuckle. Yeah. And it, it worked with me. Okay, good. So let's move on to John for some right, MMO so- action. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, one kind of long-term project Johnny and I have had is, uh, we've always kind of had it on the bucket list to play Final Fantasy XIV. Well, this, this weekend they had a, a free, I, have, I didn't resubscribe, but uh, this weekend they had kind of a, if you have a lapsed subscription, come back and you can play for free sort of thing. So, yeah, so I got my fix of that this weekend, and I think, and Johnny actually played for a little bit. I didn't see him online. Well, he wasn't able to get on the right server. So. It's dude, that was a disaster trying to get on there. Also, I mean, this was the first yeah. time I'd played at all um, because yeah. I was traveling last week. I downloaded the game before I left, but I didn't want to get my free trial going. I didn't want to start using time on my subscription. 
yeah. until I got back. So I didn't set up a character or anything like that. Uh, got back and it said, you have 18 days left on your whatever. So I think it started it anyway once I installed the game, basically. Yeah, because uh, you would have set up your account and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. I did create an account. I just didn't make a character. So um, anyway, but yeah. at this point, I've played so little, John. I've done like running around town quests, but I haven't even gone outside the city or fought a battle yet. So yeah. Hmm. I don't have a whole lot to say except that, gee, there's a whole lot of crap on the screen. It's it's a little disorienting. <laughs> you know, it, this is my first MMO. So, you know, I've played things that are maybe similar like Xenoblade and, and now the Destiny Alpha and Beta. So I have some idea, you know, but it's still it, – it's I don't know how user-friendly it is for people who are really – unfamiliar with this kind of game it, it actually is because they really do a good job of uh of, of tutorial windowing everything but not not in an annoying way they do it in a sensible way like when there's something comes up you're like i don't really know and i mean even me because they what, what they do from other mmos is they rename a lot of stuff so a lot of times they'll refer to something a concept whatever and it'll be using a term that i don't know about so they'll explain it with you know, it, with a tutorial window, and I'll say, oh, okay, that's like X from World of Warcraft, or this, or that, mm -hmm. or the other, mm -hmm. right? So they do a really good job of that. So the one good thing about this one, um, for somebody who's never played an MMO before, is the fact that it was designed with the console audience in mind, with the console audience not necessarily knowing much about MMOs. So it's really good as like a starter MMO. For me, it's maybe a little bit slow-paced, because um, I can kind of jump right in and, and, you know, hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. But it's it's good. I like I like the fact almost that it's it's a little bit more console uh, console like because what you'll find with PC MMOs, they assume that people are playing with keyboards and so there's a higher level of what they assume you can do with keybinds, with macros, with uh, add-ons that you can install. You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, they they really almost designed the games. User interfaces. Yeah, so they they've kind of distilled a lot of the stuff down. You know that you don't like like um getting your character up to you know like uh you know the cap. Even when you do that, you don't have an overwhelming amount of skills that you have to manage. Whereas in other MMOs, you'll have like twenty five, thirty skills that you have to prune accordingly, depending on how how well you know your class. Um, but uh, I think it's very good. I mean, I think I think if we sat down and played it, I think what would probably help you would be if you played it by yourself for a little while to just kind of get your feel. You know what I mean? Before you start grouping with people or I start yeah, dragging I mean, I around places. I don't even right? know how so, to navigate right now. Like I, I exactly. can't read the map. I don't know where I am or how to get to anything. All I can do is follow yeah. the little arrows that are on the radar when I get a quest. Yep, yep. So, yeah, so, you know, at some point you should probably just kind of hop in there, you know, and uh, just kind of spend some time with it. It's something, I mean, you know, it's it's an MMO, so it's meant to be played over a long period of time, so... Yeah, um, oh yeah. But uh I, I I'm not complaining. I just I had very little time to play it this past weekend with uh yeah. Destiny being out and I was editing the this podcast and I was getting ready to be on player one, so I was playing certain things so I could talk about them on there and uh and you know, and I had just got back from traveling, so it was very hard to find time to to play any FF fourteen, but and and I regret that I didn't get a chance to play it with you, John. But uh, you know, once I get a little more established in it, I mean, I bought the game, you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna play it. I'm gonna put some time into it. I wanna I wanna have yeah. like a good MMO experience. And even if I don't like it, I can say, well, I I know why I don't like it. You know, 
I, I suspect yeah. that I will like it. Um, and I think this will be a good entry point just because I've played all the other main Final Fantasy games except 11. So, yeah. you know, I know the, the universe. I know a lot of the terminology that they're using for, at least for characters and classes and things like that, you know, items yep. and magic. Like, I understand that stuff innately. Um, it's just that, you know, if you're like me and you, you don't play MMOs, but you have played a lot of RPGs and you have played a lot of Final Fantasy, this may be one of the best bridges you'll find, but I'll still yeah. say it's pretty different. And it's pretty overwhelming when you first log into it. Just, you know, it's funny. You say that it's designed more for a console uh, experience. And, I, and I'm sure that's true. But, like, it's still very – it looks like a PC game to me. You know, oh, it could be a lot it's worse. MMO. But yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's, like – there's a little status window in the corner that's, like, typing out, like, you know, little messages about everything that's going on. Every time I accept a quest, it prints out a little message that says, you accepted this quest. And that thing's up all the time. So that's just like part of the uh -huh. game. And I assume yep. when you chat with people, that it goes there. Um, there's just a whole bunch of stuff on the screen that makes no sense to me at all. And the text is all really tiny. Uh, yeah. So like if I, I tried to play some while I was eating dinner the other night, but I had to eat at the at the table because I was eating something messy. I didn't want to try to eat it on the couch. And yeah. even just at a little bit of an angle and sitting slightly farther away than I normally do from the TV, I couldn't even read the text anymore. And yeah. uh, and I eventually had to do something else until I finished eating. So, you know, the game works well on the I'm playing on play, PS4 and in the game. See, it feels like it controls fine. I haven't gotten into combat yet, so I probably am not qualified to say, but it makes sense. You know, I think they, they make smart use of the touchpad on the PS4. Not a whole lot of games have uh, really done much with it, but I think it's perfect for this game because it gives you like a very limited kind of mouse-like interface if you need it for mm -hmm. certain things. And again, yeah, and like this, a lot it's of... easy to imagine that that would come in handy. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've played it on PS3 and I've played it on PC, um, I prefer PC just because obviously the controls are a lot, they're a lot better. They are. Um, they're better than the console controls, but the console controls are actually really well done. It's just that, you know, I'm used to playing MMOs on a PC. I have, you know, I have like a game pad for it and everything like that. I'm just set up, I'm very set up for MMOs on PC, so that's what I prefer. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I enjoy play playing it on, on a PS3. game pad with keyboard, like as a supplement. Yeah, can it's, you do that? yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't think you can because they don't, they wouldn't have drivers for PS4. Um, hmm. I use the uh, Logitech, whatever it is, G13. So, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's just a little like mini keyboard kind of thing that's set up with a joystick and everything. So it's, it's really convenient for MMOs. That's what it's made for. Oh, so you're using a joystick to control the character though. Correct. Yeah. 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 So, but, thing, what, but, but you also yeah. have all these buttons. Huh. Yep. Yep. But I mean, what you do, I mean, it's a joystick that you map to the keyboard controls, right? So it just makes it easier. So it's, it's a pretty cool setup, but they wouldn't have drivers for PS4 for that. So, but yeah, that yeah. said, uh, you know, you, the, the keyboard controls are really well done. I mean, the, the console controls, the gamepad controls, um, and you can actually, you can incidentally, you can actually use the gamepad with the PC version as well. Um, oh, but, cool. uh, yeah. but yeah, so uh, what, but what you'll find is that you'll kind of, you'll, you'll wind up, you know, tweaking shortcuts and finding out what you use more than other things and you kind of, a, you kind of put those on hot keys that you can, you know, perform certain gamepad combos. You kind of you have to figure that out though. Like you have to actually put. Yeah, some I mean, time right now I don't even understand enough out. to know why you would want to do any of the stuff you just yep. said. But I'm sure it's important. Yep. Uh, 
Yeah, it's a, this is a deep hole that I'm diving into and it's a little bit scary for me. I mean, I know tons of people play MMOs and it shouldn't seem like a big deal, but it, so far it, it, it looks and feels a lot different than anything I've done before with RPGs. And so it's a little intimidating for me, I have to admit, but I am excited to get more into it. And once I get a little more established and know what I'm doing, John, uh, will you resubscribe at least for a month and maybe we can play together? Yeah. Um, but you know what's interesting is when I was playing it, I realized that um, a lot of the, a lot of the problems with that with MMOs is that you don't get tutorials, right? A lot of it is a lot of the way you learn these games is by going to websites and community blogs and stuff or, like that, or right? Or they give you really really boring basic quests, like I need yeah, you to quest- go to this town with item. Yeah, I mean the thing is, it's like it's like okay, so the so like the like the the bulk of these games is like you know you know doing like five man you know stuff like that and doing raids and stuff like that but nowhere in any of these games is any of that ever explained and like combat is barely explained right which is like complete core of the games which just kills me right so this is why you're forced to kind of like kind of do research for anything right which i think turns a lot of people off and mm. it's understandable so, completely understandable so um, is the is the gameplay like does it remind you of other Final Fantasy games, solo Final Fantasy games, or like, does the story have a lot of Final Fantasy elements to it? The story definitely does. Oh yeah, from, yeah. Right from it's... the get go, the story is very Final Fantasy. I mean, gameplay wise, yeah. I can't even tell you yet. Gameplay wise, it's straight World of Warcraft, but that's not a bad thing. Hmm. I mean, that's good because you know what they what they've done is they've taken what works in World of Warcraft and just cloned it and put you know all of the you know, Final Fantasy stuff over it. But that's okay, right. because I've seen other MMOs that try to rip off World of Warcraft, and they don't even match it feature for feature. So it's like, if you're going to rip off World of Warcraft, at least put everything that's in World of Warcraft in the game, and they've done that, which is cool. Wouldn't you rather which is why see, I like it. Wouldn't no. you rather see something in the genre do something that's <laughs> no. not World nope. of Warcraft? Nope. Why? If it's not broke, don't fix it, because then it becomes a different genre. Well, <laughs> and then it becomes not... Star Wars: The Old Republic, and Star Wars: The Old Republic is a game that never should have been. No, an no, MMO. Star Wars: The Old Republic is bad because EA and the related accoutrement that made it are also bad. That's why that game is bad. Accoutrement? No, it's bad because they they took what should have been a single player game and they made it into an MMO. Well, yeah, that's that's ultimately the root of them being bad. Like they did yep. they did evil and made that game bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we don't have but, to moralize on on electronic yeah, arts here, but yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, definitely we can we can give it a try, man. I think you'd enjoy it. Um, cool. Once you kind of once you kind of make it through the first sort of tutorial thing and just kind of get your bearings, I think you would. I think yeah. you'd dig it. Actually, but well, the one thing know, I just wanted to say, bringing it back to something Nintendo related, um, talking about the the tutorials that are horrible in, in this in this uh, <laughs> genre. What's the best MMO tutorial I've seen? Xenoblade. That is a fantastic. Really? Yeah, that game that game is an MMO. It's just you play it single player. It's an MMO. It has aggro, all of that shit that they explain to you beautifully in every pop-up. It's an MMO without the douchebags basically. Basically, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, well, and that's and James' we, opinion, but <laughs> you know, I guess we don't know for sure, but it looks like the sequel on Wii U will be online. So maybe that'll be even more like a real MMO. Yeah, I mean, or at least a, or at least a, a, a an SMO, like a small yeah, multiplayer online. They'll probably have like instant stuff or something like that. I would. You're think. kind of, I mean, in that case, you're kind of talking about something like a fantasy star layout where there are or people destiny online yeah. with you at the moment, but eh. right, right, 
Yeah, I mean, you could play together, but it's not like a giant. I'll, I'll say, I mean, FF14 is really pretty so far from what I've seen. I, I like the look of it, and that was very that was one of the big uh, drivers to to make me want to try this one. Whereas I have not tried a lot of MMOs are pretty ugly, so uh, the fact that they made a really pretty one is enticing. And uh, you know, play Final Fantasy on my PS4, like that's kind of exciting. It'd be probably be quite a long time before I get to do that again uh, with mm-hmm. 15. And, uh, you know, so far I, I'm still stuck in the town in the first city that I came to, but I'm excited to get outside and like see the world. And, uh, you know, I think you guys can, could probably guess from, uh, from my comments on other games, but the reason I w- am interested in playing this game is I really want to explore the world. I want to see yeah. the different places they've put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess the combat I'll probably put up with kind of like I did in Xenoblade. I never loved the combat, but it was okay. Yeah. And it got me through the the stuff I did want to see, so I, I'm looking forward to to getting out there. But yeah, uh, definitely try to roll on uh, on my server when you have a chance because I can pull you through a bunch of content, right? Yeah, I'll try. I mean, I guess I I could either start a new character for free or I could pay a fee for some reason to move my character to your server. Don't do that. That's just dumb for a level. I don't one understand character, why stupid. they would charge a fee for that. It's because they don't so want people because they can't. on one server. They basically is like, well, your server sucks. You could pay us to get on a better one. Or you could stick to this, yeah. this kind of sucky one. Yeah, they can. It's kind of common practice. That, that not... seems like fleecing to me. That seems very anti-consumer. Well, that's basically what every MMO does at this point, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's common practice. I just can't believe that things got that to that point. I can't believe people allowed that to happen. It's, it's really sad. Anyway, uh, James, why don't you wrap up new business? I'm still going through uh, Ace Attorney Investigations 2, very near the end of that. Stupidly long cases, um, and of course I'm playing Wind Waker HD. But fuck, how many times we've talked about Wind Waker on this show? It's not really relevant <laughs> to get back into it. Um, so I was in sort of Guillaume's boat of I need something to talk about on the show, especially because we're on a Wednesday, and usually Wednesday nights the night where I go fuck, I gotta find something <laughs> to talk about. So <laughs> I, I went to the eShop and just said, you know what, I've got a bunch of eShop, you know, digital deluxe points. Fuck it, let's just do something. And I ended up with Bases Loaded by Jellico, NES Virtual Console on 3DS, because I like baseball, and I like baseball from the NES era, and I thought, well, this can't be terrible. So, so naive, and, James. Um, no, actually it can. It can be terrible. It's entirely plausible that this can, would, could be, and in fact is terrible. So, if you're not familiar with Bases Loaded, you're probably, but you do recall playing an NES baseball game. You're probably thinking of the games that were called in the RBI series that were published by Tengen, um, some of which were official NES games and some of which were not. They were all published, they were all published in the US by Tengen, but they're actually developed by the company that made the Kunio Kun games, and I'm blanking on the name at the moment. Oh, that's Konami. Was it Technos? Oh Technos. no, yeah, yeah. Technos, Kunio Kun. Yeah. I was thinking of the Power Power Puro. That's Konami. No, 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 no so, the... so Technos made the RBI baseball, so they were called something different in Japan, and then they were localized and released. I think they were called like Family Fun Baseball or something like that. Or was it was it Famista? Power Pro Baseball? Was it F- Family Stadium Famista? Yeah, yeah, it's it's for the Famista games. For me, there's like eight of them on the NES. I think we got like yeah, four yeah. of them. Um, this isn't that game because those games are. Those games are, are, you know, they're very much of the, the Technos art style. You know, they're, they're super deformed. They're a little bit goofy. They're, 
they're kind of ridiculous in some ways, but they play they play reasonably well. Uh, this game tries to do the opposite of all of that. So the character models are weirdly detailed. Like, they look like people. Like, you know, normally portioned bodies. Um, this game is developed by Tose. It was published by Jellico in the U.S. And uh, it's... Uh, Basically, it's two frames of animation for swinging and pitching. Uh, very limited pitch control in that you press a button to pitch, and then you use the D-pad to kind of move the ball mid-flight. And swinging, you kind of have to press the ball a bunch of times to go through a full swing, or maybe it's you hold it down and release it at the right time. I'm not sure. I just kind of fumble through every time I'm at, I'm at bat. I just kind of hammer the A button until the ball goes. Uh, base running, I haven't figured out, even though I've played three games at this point. So I'm pretty much stuck at first every time. And uh, fielding is an absolute shitfest where your characters run through fields of molasses. <laughs> this is uh, bases loaded baseball, which is funny because I find it impossible to get the bases loaded. So that's okay. All of my runs were scored on home runs because there's no way I could run all four bases. Uh, it's great. <laughs> what I found was interesting was that it has you pick a team just based on letters, which is pretty common from baseball games. And that actually continues through the Super Nintendo era, where it's just like, here's a letter, figure out what city we were kind of trying to intimate this is, but we can't say it, because we don't have the license. And, oh, yeah. And uh, you'd pick, I picked Y, or J, because I was like, what, who the fuck is J? It's Jersey, apparently. The Jersey <laughs> professional baseball team. And um, found that none of their, then you, then you pick a pitcher, and found that none of their pitchers have an ERA above 3.1 which isn't very good. And I thought, oh shit, this game is telling me something right off the bat. These pitchers are terrible. I had a guy who had a 5-8 ERA as a starting pitcher. That means per <laughs> nine innings, he gives up 5.8 runs. That's real bad. Well, yeah. Yeah, that, that means he probably loses every game. Yeah, oh no, he loses every game. Like, he, like real bad. <laughs> his his goal is to get a no decision. That's what he's going for in life. And, I tell you, uh, man, it, it's really a shame that that this game isn't any better than it is because Bases Loaded is a fantastic title for a baseball oh, it's great. video game. It's awesome. It's a, like yep. it sounds like it must be great when you hear that title. Yeah. Yep. And like they've got a dude with like a big '80s baseball player stash on it, and like it's it's kind <laughs> of like like it lacks some detail, but you can see the baseball. He's got the baseball cap. He's got the big stash. Like yeah. This motherfucker's gonna go out there and pitch. He probably chugs like a, a whole Miller Lite six pack after every game and goes out to the goes back out to the uh you know, the pitcher's warm up area and just chews an entire bag of chaw after every inning. Like this guy <laughs> is eighties fucking baseball. And then you play the game and you're like, No, this isn't what I wanted. This is this is something else entirely that's wrong. This is this is a bad thing. What's weird is I've kind of figured out fielding. Like, I figured that out somewhere in the eighth inning of my second game when I was down by five. But what what's amazing is, even though I hadn't really figured out fielding, the AI hadn't really figured out fielding either. So I was having a lot of fun with that. Um, but it's, I mean, it's it's rough. This is a rough fucking game. So I'm, can you edit teams or anything like that? Not that I've seen. But, but okay. you do get surprisingly capable voice over work. Hmm. Like, like, just like, like, it's like, it's home run. Like, it sounds like yeah. reasonably high fidelity. That's impressive for an NES game. There's yeah. moments, there's moments that I've enjoyed so far where you can see the English text kind of snake in where the Japanese text was before. 
where it kind of gets distorted. So it's like, this is really fucking weird game. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand this game at all. Now, uh, can you can you play like a, a, a tournament? Because seasons for this so for this era are out of the question, for sure. Yeah, I mean, 144 games of this is really just what I wake up for <laughs> every Punishment? day. It's like every day I wake yeah. up, go, I need to get 14 it's games for the love of the today. game, James. Yeah, it's I mean, I love, love the game, game, buddy. I love the fucking game. Don't start with me. <laughs> this particular rendition of the game, I have some issues with. So I, I played. I played my first game, and I picked my team, and I went in and I played. And I, I uh, pick your team. I said single player. Pick my team. Pick my pitcher. Game starts. Um, I've got a dude on my on my roster named Paste. That was cool. Uh, run through nine innings, and then I'm dumped back to the pick your pitcher menu. And I think, oh no, this thing just keeps going. This goes on forever, and I'm playing the same team I played before, so I assume this is a series. And I, one thing I was surprised to note was that my pitcher got worse. Like my, his ERA went up, which seems impossible when his ERA was already 3.4, but it went up. Um, the game has a password save system. Which, how many? Well, how many runs did he allow in the previous game? He allowed five. That's why his ERA went up. Yep. Um, well, yeah, but I didn't expect this game to actually. So, okay, so it has that. password save. Yeah, well, it also, yeah, it's got password saving, which is great. Um, but I can't figure out for the life of me where to get the password from, so I don't know what's going on with this game at all. It does have multiplayer support, which I'm curious how that works, and download play, which is bizarre, and I don't know how you'd find someone to download play this with you. It's, <laughs> it's, it's real bad. It's real. Somewhere in America, it's, there is someone is, who is like, you're dead, James. But yeah, not after some... a, not until I play a game of bases loaded with you. What's what's bizarre, and I say this relatively tongue in cheek, is that there are four bases loaded games. It they mm-hmm. they made four. Tose managed to make four of these, and this is the one we got. Now presumably that's because Jellico only published one of them, but holy shit, why? Like so, if maybe, you don't yeah. know, maybe the later ones are like much better. Maybe I think is they this are the first one. I think they are pretty good, actually. I think by the time Bases Loaded 4 comes around, I think that they're actually fairly competent, but this one is just yeah. generally known as being awful. The thing I don't put out as interesting is that the reason this game's out is because Jellico actually still exists. Kind of. So, the video game company uh, turned into a holding company at some point, which is always a good sign for your business when you straight up convert to a holding company for your licenses. They then split the video game part out and sold that to another holding company. Yep. Who then got out of the video game business and created a spin-off holding company that just manages it's called like Jellico Holdings. So the only reason we're able to buy this is because somewhere on a piece of paper this company still exists. Mm. Great. Mm. Nice. Great. This is It lets them keep putting out bases loaded and other. It lets them gems. keep releasing this fucking game and womp them. Yeah, it's in like City Connection. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, James, you don't have to keep stretching for time because we're out of it for this segment. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about summer gaming and maybe get a little bit of email. Here's a quick look at the best original content at our website, now playing at NintendoWorldReport.com.
All right. First up, we have a review of the History of Mario book by Justin Barube. Book. It's a book. For the Nintendo book system. Yep, it is. It's for the Nintendo book system, as James said. Want to know more about Mario than probably 95% of the planet? Problem solved. The next time you go to Nintendo Trivia at the local pub, you're really going to whip some ass if you study this tome. We also Alternatively, have... you can just whip some ass with this tome. <laughs> you really could. You really could. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd be the baddest guy. I mean, I don't know. Violence is the answer Violence to is all always the trivia. Answer. You're right, James. All right, and we have a review of Air Race Xeno for 3DS by Addison Webb. Do you feel the need, the need for speed? Well, Air Race Xeno definitely has it for you, but what else is there? A true speed freak would reply in a gravelly voice, Nothing. But Addison tells you whether or not there's enough game to go around in this case. Nothing. <laughs> this week we also have a feature. Ten Ways to Boost Wii U Sales by Zach Miller. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Zach presents an extremely serious look at what he thinks could save the Wii U's bacon. What? Are you kidding? This is Zach. Anime boobs and anime boobs are three, two, and one. Okay, that's a lie. But get ready for some humor. And last this week, we have a review, Strike Force Fox on 3DS by Neil Ronan. Ever played Choplifter? No? Congratulations! You're at least 10 years younger than John. Anyway, if you're looking for some arcade action, and who isn't? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> this helicopter saga may be right up your alley. Read Neil's review to find out. Jesus. That's, that's it. Yep, that's it. For all the other stuff that we do on this website, because we do some stuff like news and reviews and previews and deviews and all that kind of things, you can go check it out at NintendoWorldReport.com. Welcome back, everyone. You know, it's about a month into the summer here in the Northern Hemisphere, and I thought it's been very hot in my neck of the woods lately, and I thought, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to to talk about summer gaming as a as a thing, as a concept, and is it really different than just general gaming? Do we, do we play differently in the summertime? Do we crave different kinds of games? Um, and, uh, you know, and so I thought, well, this might be kind of a fun little, like, mini feature to do, just because we've had several weeks now of, of, uh, of listener mail. And uh, I love doing that. I always want to get in more emails, but sometimes I like to break it up a little bit. So, summer gaming, I, I don't know if you guys ever really think of it in those terms, but for me, I think it goes back to growing up as a child. Um, you know, being in school, you don't always have time to do all all the gaming that you want. And for me, in the summertime, a lot it was uh, it was a chance to really like stretch out and and play the games that take much longer to play through. So I think in the summer, I usually look forward to playing a lot of RPGs, getting things that you know I could really spend a lot of time on because I had all the time in the world in the summer. I didn't go to camp or anything like that most years. So I had a lot of time at home to do, kind of do whatever I wanted. And I grew up in the South where it's friggin' hot in the summer and you don't want to go outside. It's fucking miserable. It's like real, <laughs> real nasty, 95 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. It's 85, and 85 degrees outside right humidity. now at 1030 at night. 
Yeah. That's fucked so, up. So, like, that's pro- partly why I was an indoors kid growing up. Well, that's partly why I got so into video games, because I didn't want to go outside when it was that hot. Uh, so I, you know, I associate the summertime with playing a lot of video games, at least spending a lot of time with video games. What about you guys? Well, let's see. Uh, that's for me, it was kind of the same thing. I would would play RPGs during the summer, but also I'd play, uh, it gives you, because all the other kids are out of school, it gives you a chance to kind of coordinate stuff. So what we used to do Uh is we would would have, uh, sports leagues going on. So we would play stuff like Tecmo Bowl, NHL hockey, not actual sports. No, no, not actual sports. You crazy? <laughs> you crazy? Yeah. So we we'd be able to do that over several weeks or months. We would, you know, take the cartridge over to somebody else's house and play through their games, and then go to somebody else's house and play through their games. So it was good. It was fun. You could do that on weekends too. You could everybody sits around and just plays for the whole day and passes off the controller. It's good times. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I yeah, I do think it's it is also uh for the for the same reason it's a great chance to get together and play a little bit of multiplayer. And uh you know, I wasn't doing that all day every day, but I, I probably have more memories of getting people together to play, you know, Goldeneye or uh or you know, even earlier stuff, NES games just kind of crowding around and and checking things out. Probably happened more in the summertime mm-hmm. than it did the rest of the year because of that because we we were all out of school. We were able to get together sometimes. I don't know. I recall playing a lot of RPGs, sure, but I wonder if it's not just because I played a lot of RPGs overall, like on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> um, you know, like I remember, well, at first, like my Super Nintendo was in the, the basement. Um, so it was just the coolest place in, in the whole house. So I can imagine. Yeah, I can very easily imagine myself just staying down there instead of going into the sun and, and playing and whatever kids are supposed to do during the summer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but um, I also have like these memories of going to a friend's house and his room was in the freaking attic. And I remember playing Super Paper, uh, sorry. Super Mario RPG, and it was just sweltering. And like, <laughs> how can you live in this environment? How can your room be this hot? I can't. <laughs> it's insane. I can't even play a video game. I wouldn't be able to do anything in here. Um, hmm. So yeah, I, I just uh, good times, good, good memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like just uh, RPGs, longer games, and it's probably the same uh, today because I just. It just happened, you know, like I, I didn't plan on, on spending the summer playing Xenoblade, but that's, that sure is, that sure seems to be uh, what my summer is shaping up to be. Sure. James, any, any particular uh, trends that you've ever noticed with your summer gaming habits? No, because, so, I talked about it on the show before, I had an NES for a long time. Um, the, I didn't get the Super Nintendo until the Super Nintendo was more or less dead and the N64 was out. I actually got Super Nintendo after the N64 was a hand-me-down. Um, so I played Super Nintendo with friends. I had my NES collection of just garbage and just, just abysmal fucking garbage that I had in my NES collection. Um, we've talked about multiple times on the show, but mostly I was playing PC games and I didn't really change what I played. I, I played what I wanted to play, which was a lot of flight sims, a lot of, uh, a lot of strategy games. A lot of, you know, like, simulation games, just stuff that was is very much in the purview of the PC gaming space. Um, 
it wasn't so when I when I have an N64 when I've started to to move on like the GameCube especially the GameCube was really when I was actually on top of games that were coming out at that moment um I played whatever I wanted to play whenever I wanted to play it so, I mean I'd play an RPG when I was in school I would just break it up into like I have a couple hours before I have to go to bed I'll play that and then tomorrow I'll play a couple more hours and then on the weekend I'll fucking marathon the shit out of this game but mm-hmm. yeah I mean I, I basically just played a lot of whatever because it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's 70 to 90% humidity every day and never less than like 92. It's horrible. It's just, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just got like, it's breathing water right now. It's goddamn awful. So yeah, it's like, it's like heavy snow. It's, you don't want to go anywhere in it. Yeah. Right? It's, it really right. is. It's just, it's the other extreme. It's, it is this, this horrible experience of, I just don't want to be outside. I don't care what I'm doing. Just anything that's not outside. So in terms of what games I played, it didn't really matter how I consumed them might change. So I played through eternal darkness, for example, on, on like, on like July 4th weekend or like, like the couple days between this, like that Monday and that weekend. And I remember just like, just marathoning it every night, which is exactly the, the wrong way to play that game. Like three in the morning in the dark, Alone playing that game is really, <laughs> really the absolute best. Sounds ideal. Best way yeah. to play it, especially to do that like four nights in a row. And I seem to recall being sick during it, so it's just a good combination mm. of really, just a really bad situation all around, and just feeling really angry at the game a lot. But it really, it was just I got to play more hours when I was in high school because I had to get up so early for school. You know, I didn't really get to play that much in the evening. It that. The whole, like, feeling sick thing, uh, I can definitely associate with playing some games in the summer, like, after moving out of the basement, <laughs> and, uh, like, in, um, when I was in college, in dorms, I have memories of um, picking up a GameCube that summer that Eternal Darkness came out, and uh, I rented Pikmin, and I, I just remember getting huge headaches from the, the combination of the extreme heat in the dorms. And the, uh, the kind of the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The effect when, uh, it's kind of blurry, a blur of movement, you know, like the, the camera, the graphics mm. in Pikmin had this kind of, uh, I don't know if it was out of necessity or if it was an effect that they added, but there, there seemed to be a trail as if like the, the screen didn't refresh fast enough. Yeah, blur. And I don't I think if that was the TV you had in your dorm room. Ah, it was a CRT, so I don't think so. But yeah, I remember not having a good time playing the first Pikmin, probably entirely because it was the summer, it was hot, and it was uncomfortable. And uh, same thing with Rogue Squad- Squadron. Not good memories of uh, Rogue Leader. I'm sorry, whatever. The GameCube one, the first one. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I just... Uh, it was... Uh, it demanded too much concentration trying to see, to distinguish the TIE Fighters from the black background. And, uh, That's that the com- most challenging thing in that game. Yeah, I mean, in any condition you play it in, unless you like drive the contrast to really weird levels on your TV. I mean, it's supposed to be. That's why the Tie Fighters are designed the way they are, is because they're supposed to be hard to see. Right. But holy crap, in Rogue Leader, they're really hard to see uh, against most of the backgrounds that you fight them on, unless you use that targeting computer. And that's exactly why they put it in there. You know, they, they punish you a little bit in the scoring mechanics, I guess, yep. but yep. Uh, you can flip that thing on real quick and just be like, oh, yeah, they're over there, and then you can go after them without it. Mm. So, yeah, just, uh, I don't know, summer gaming, when you don't have a good environment for it, is just miserable. Might as well just go outside. 
or do something <laughs> crazy like well, God. So you, know. you probably grew up without. Did you grow up with air conditioning? No. Yeah. See, but also like in dorms, yeah. like forget about it. They wouldn't give us the Our dorms, except for the really old ones, have AC because people would die if they didn't. Yeah, I mean, really, like you can't <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, mean literally, they would die. It, it's bad. Yeah, it's. Yeah, my, my yeah. dorms had AC, but it wasn't very good. I no. mean, the, the rooms just weren't designed very well. They weren't insulated very well. Right. Hmm. I mean, they, they, they so the emptied out. And the, the common areas would always be a lot cooler than the, than the rooms. The one dorm yeah. that d- doesn't have AC, they will not use it during the summer. Pe- people will fucking die i mean it's bad <laughs> it, yep. it's it's like a hundred yep. it's so, like a hundred in december i mean it's terrible so it's gonna be horrible in the summer <laughs> so james you mentioned uh that you know at the at the time when you were younger you weren't um following new releases necessarily until much later right um but i wanted to get into that a little bit because you know i don't i don't think you have to be like up on the latest releases all the time to notice that for three or four months out of the year, there usually wasn't much coming out. You know, in the summertime, video games just, it seemed like we had the most time to play them and there was the least, like, new stuff that people were talking about or that uh, was being marketed to you. There just, it wasn't a time when you release a lot of, uh, of video games. And so, I, I think especially when I was a teenager and I was playing a lot of Super Nintendo and N64 stuff, the summer became a lot of times for me, a chance to replay games that I'd already played before, um, especially RPGs, you know, because I had such giant chunks of time that I could devote to this stuff. So I think that there was probably a couple summers there in the mid nineties that, you know, I got really into like replaying Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy three several times all the way through. And it just became like, uh, something to do. You know, it was almost just killing time or just marking time through the summer. I mean, I loved it. Uh, and I would always try to play it differently. I'd always try to try different things every time I went through it, but it's hard for me to fathom that nowadays. Of course, I don't get summers off anymore, so it's a little bit different situation, but, uh, that, that was definitely part of it. And, um, I don't know nowadays as an adult, I'm not sure that my summer gaming habits are really that much different, except that if anything, I might play less now because, I live in a place, uh, and this is partly because of the weather during the summer months, but now I live in a place uh, that's much more tolerable to be outside most of the time. And so if if I'm at home and I actually have free time and the sun is out, a lot of times I'll try to go outside just because I want to soak it up. You know, at my job, I don't get a whole lot of sunlight. So uh, I, I like to go outside and, and do something physical while I can because it's usually just for like an hour or two after I get off work before – before the sun goes down. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm home early enough to get some sunlight, I try to get some of that. Uh, and so in the summertime, I feel like I probably play less stuff. Whereas in the wintertime, it may be dark by the time I get home. So, you know, I'm just going to turn on a game immediately and just play it until bedtime. That happens a lot in the wintertime. In the summer, not so much. So for, if anything, I play games less in the summer nowadays. But, um, the, the releases also have be, have become more consistent in the summer because you have stuff like all the indie games and the download, you know, the smaller download games that uh, come out really all year round. And so there may not be as many big AAA games, but I don't often play those when they're brand new anyway. Maybe a couple every fall, but it's, I'm not going out playing, you know, buying the newest Madden or racing game or, or first person shooter all the time. But, you know, sometimes I do catch up on those games during the summertime. But more likely, I'm playing a lot of smaller stuff, and that that certainly has been the case the past few years. So for me, I look forward to summer in the sense that uh, 
there's not as much pressure to be playing the newest thing because a lot of times there isn't the newest thing. There's just, there's nothing out that's really like of note. And so it feels more like a free for all where I can go play weird stuff that I might normally not have time for, or I go back and play something that seemed interesting that I just didn't have time for uh, earlier when it, when it was first released. So I look forward to summer a lot to catch up, even though it's probably the time of year when I have the least gaming time uh, as an adult. See, as an adult, I live in a place where summer is intolerable and winter isn't much better. Cause, I mean, it gets, it's, I mean, it's below freezing pretty much every day of the winter. And it's goddamn awful all summer. So, like, we had a couple days last week after a massive thunderstorm came through where it was like in the high 70s, low 80s, and I was outside a lot. But during the summer and winter, I basically can't go outside. So it's just, it's just a lot of long gaming sessions. So, I mean, a great example of just a real awful day when I was on my, t- I had that two weeks off last December and I played a whole shitload of Persona 3 because it was like 18 and 18 degrees Fahrenheit. No matter how many layers you have on with, with really nasty wind, not a lot of fun. Nope. <laughs> That's. <laughs> So the the funny thing is, there's probably a lot of people listening to this who are like, "That's not that bad for wintertime." I mean, 18 is is cold, but it's certainly it's like around wind. here. It's not enough to keep you from going outside. It's that wind that's yeah. miserable. Well, in Virginia, it's the humidity also is really nasty in the in the cold weather. Like, if it's below freezing, then humid air feels terrible. Oh, it's freaking awful! And you sit there and you yeah. you just suffer for it. And then you go inside where it's super dry because your heat. So when you go back outside, you're even less ready for it. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad, it's bad all around. So, like, I would just play, you know, I had days over that break where I played, I, I sat down, you know, I got up around 10, went and had, like, a late breakfast, maybe went out and did Christmas shopping, and then came back in around 2, sat down with lunch, and then played Persona 3 and looked up, and it was late. And I don't mean, like, mm. it's dark, because that would be, like, 6. I mean, it's late. It's like, oh, shit, it's, that's the paper boy. <laughs> and, and all right, well, that's winter gaming. Yeah, well, uh, but it's, it's, it's summer. Final... Summer is the same experience for me when I can. But mostly, it's just I'll sit down and just kind of turn it off and just go for a while. And hmm. then when I'm done, I'm done. Hmm. I just um, I don't know. Nowadays, I think that perhaps uh, my 3DS playing time is drastically reduced, which might um, be counterintuitive because you would think, well, it's summer. You want to walk around. You want to you know, have your portable maybe more than stay at home and play a Wii U. Um, but it's just that I, I, I bike to work instead of taking public Oh, you transport. can play while you bike? What's your problem? Uh, it's not recommended. <laughs> well, None I, I would in the also streets say... of Montreal where it's full of uh, buttholes and, uh, eh. yeah, people wouldn't like it. Um, but, yeah, like, so I, I don't really carry it around as much. I don't get as many street passes because, you know, there's a bunch of universities here, but all the students are home, so you don't get as many street passes. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, there's less reason to carry the, the 3DS around. I would, I would say the other narrative there is that there are, Nintendo's pushing the 3DS somewhat less than, than the Wii U at the moment. Sure, but, uh, I don't know, like usually. No, they're definitely pushing it less than they had been. <laughs> no, that's yeah, true. Sure. But I mean, there were two kind of big-ish releases in May 3, actually, like Tomodachi yeah, Life, it... that was in June. There was a Mario Golf, there was a Kirby. Yeah, but none of those are like long sit down and play games. I mean, would you long sit down and play Tomodachi Life for like four hours? 
Your answer should be no if it's something else. <laughs> 60 or 70, maybe? I've, I, I've seen it happen. Oh, I, man. Uh, oh, my gosh. You're special, Guillaume. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, James, James is right. I mean, there it, it would be nice if there had been kind of like a big, uh, like a, a big, long, you know, RPG release for 3DS this summer. That was not the case. But, you know, Alice has had a lot of deals. So I guess if you're oh, looking yeah, for been summer games... Alice has had all kinds of 3DS eShop deals where you can get Shimigami Tensai 4 or one of those, one of the other ones they've got out, uh, you know, the, the Etrian Odyssey series, certainly. But, you know, there's always stuff like that. I mean, I'm never really lacking for games to choose from. Um, so that, it's not that, not so much that. It's more like the kinds of games I feel like playing, I guess, and the, and the, the ones that I have the time for. Right. So anyway, uh, any final thoughts on summer gaming before we, we wrap this up and move on to some email? I don't know. The, uh, the seasons don't influence my gaming habits as much as editing this freaking podcast <laughs> does. That's, that's an actual, you know, life change. You know, like the, there, it does yeah. eat away at my time a lot. And I'm, I make, you know, rash decisions like getting Mr. Driller 2 just so I have something to talk about. And also I know, <laughs> oh, it's short. So I'm not committing to anything really big and, uh, that I won't have time to play. Um, so yeah, like this, yeah, the seasons pass and, uh, you can play old games, new games anytime. Like, uh, you can play any game year round. So who cares? Yeah, I mean, full time employment really hampers my my summer gaming. So, you know, what do you hear that? <laughs> Can't complain, right, bro? Yeah. All right. Well, that'll wrap up our little bit of a mini feature. But uh, if you have any thoughts on summer gaming, I bet some of you have some good stories or some good uh, some good thoughts on the subject. You can send those to rfn at nintendoworldreport.com. And you can actually email us about pretty much any topic, uh, such as the ones we've got picked out uh, for the rest of this episode. So uh, let's see. Let's start off with uh, this email from Mr. Adolf Vega. And he writes, longtime listener, by the way, he writes, Is it time to start thinking about the 3DS successor? 2013 was a landmark year for 3DS, but lately Nintendo handhelds don't have a long life. Three years between GBA and DS, five years between DS and DSi, and three years between DSi and 3DS. So do we need a real successor to 3DS, a redesign like XL, Micro, 2DS, or just a minimal upgrade like DSi? What does the upgrade need? Multi-touch screen, dual circle pad, high resolution screens, more RAM, faster, more powerful processors, lose, lose the clamshell design, or does this really matter? How can Nintendo make a 3DS successor that really competes with smartphones without segmenting the market further and avoiding consumer confusion and be profitable and gain third-party support? Sort of seems like 3DS might be the last Nintendo portable system to me. Uh, I think it'll be the last Nintendo portable that's on its own and completely divorced from the consoles. Hmm. Um, because, I, because, you know, we've seen Iwata talk about, you know, having the same kind of OS platform across multiple devices. Um, yeah. And uh, so I think the next, I think the next console and the next handheld are going to be more closely entwined um, than previously. So, yeah, I mean that that's a popular theory. I'm not going to dispute it, but well, I'll I mean, say Iwata's basically said it. 
I mean, he's talked about well, it. Well, he that they're doing that. I, I, so. No, not in a hardware sense. I don't think. I mean, he's talked about uniting their software development teams, but that that's partly you know yeah. having common development architectures. That's not the same thing as saying you know the 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 new the next versions of these will effectively be the same thing, or they'll they'll. No, tie I'm not into saying that either. I'm not. I'm not saying they're going to have the same hardware, but they're going to be. Very architecturally similar in terms of what OS. They're oh, okay, running. so that's, are, that's for sure. So are you are you thinking something like an iPhone versus an iPad, like two different devices yeah. with you know some somewhat different use cases, but they effectively run the same operating system and you know they have a lot of the same shared uh, applications you can run. Yeah, sort of something similar like that. Probably, I mean, I, not, could, I could kind yeah. of see them going that way because yeah. I, I, I got to say one thing that I'd like in a in a in the, the the next handheld from Nintendo, and I'm sure there will be a next handheld. Regardless, you know, I think the big question is like, how different is it than 3ds? Is it fully compatible? Is it just a, a tiny upgrade, or is it a new platform, maybe with backwards compatibility? I think actually, they've they've done backwards compatibility. Excuse me. They've done backwards compatibility for a really long time. There's not a massive library of 3DS software uh, to be carried forward uh, to the next generation. And they do seem to be hitting some kind of saturation level with 3DS. I mean, maybe they'll come up with some breakthrough game idea that will cause it to, to have a resurgence. We've seen that in the past, and it's certainly possible again. But I feel like 3DS is probably trending downward. You know, you, when you look at the MPD sales, it's it's selling like, you know, maybe three-fourths, maybe half of what it did a year earlier. And it'll certainly have a very good Christmas this year, but I don't know if it has another big Christmas in it. And and I have to imagine Nintendo's getting pretty serious about, you know, planning for the next stage, whatever that may be. Whether it's some attempt to refresh the 3DS and make it feel new again or really do something that's new and different. I'd kind of like to see them go in a in in a smaller direction. You know, I mean, I like the XL, but it's not very portable. And I think when you look at, you know, if they're competing with things like smartphones, you know, smartphones fit in your pocket. The 3DS really doesn't. Even the original yeah. 3DS is kind of bulky. Yeah. So for me, you know, like I think the the dual screen concept has worked out great for them and they've done a lot with it. But when you look at the 3DS, the the new 3DS games, most of them don't use that touchscreen, and they don't use the the fact that it has two screens very well at all. It just mm-hmm. seems to be a really minor feature nowadays. And you know they they don't have to kill off the 3DS right away. So if there's stuff in process, if there's still more you know designed to be uh, mined out of these concepts, you know, and they leave that platform available for people, especially like indie developers who want to keep making their small three uh, download games. But I feel like Nintendo could go in a in a simpler direction that ha- goes back to one screen. It allows them to keep down development costs, which seems to be a, a big problem with the third party developers and the uh, and and the Western developers. You know, I mean, it it costs a fair bit of money to make a 3DS game. I mean, it's a very advanced platform. It's it very significantly more expensive than it was on the DS, and that seems to be limiting the number of releases it gets. So I could see them going in the opposite direction. Not saying the new system would be less powerful than 3DS, but maybe you don't have to worry about a 3D screen. You don't have to worry about programming two screens. You don't have to worry about all the weird development kit stuff that goes with having such an unusual system. Maybe they streamline it. They make it a little bit more traditional, uh, and they, and they, and they make the, the unit more portable, you know, more, more like an old game on an old fashioned Game Boy, just modern and sophisticated. 
and uh, and make it. I think that could be more appealing to developers, maybe. What do you it, guys it would be it, it would be hard to make it less appealing to developers. I, I don't <laughs> know what's going on, but it looks like every big publisher got ri rid of their handheld teams. Uh, everyone is doubling down on mobile, um, and even amongst indie developers only it seems like only the already nintendo faithful like the the people that have been working on um you know ds games and maybe even like gba games and who mm -hmm. have had some success there only them seem to be uh aware that there is a possibility to make money uh on nintendo handhelds and uh nintendo really hasn't been very uh effective in kind of mending bridges and uh You know, like there, there's a lot of convincing they have to do after Iwata basically said that uh, uh, garage developers were, were kind of, you know, did not have their place on Nintendo systems. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of it just has to do with part of the problem with third party development and, and even indie development on 3DS is that Unity doesn't work on 3DS for whatever reason. I've heard all kinds of theories. It, it should. They really need to fix that because it's used by so many independent and small development studios. And a lot of, I know a lot of people want to put their games on 3DS, but it's hard to do. The development tools really aren't that mature for it, especially mm -hmm. on a small scale. And, uh, you know, the, the, the web framework stuff, for instance, that, uh, that they're doing for Wii U games, that's, that kind of thing is not available on 3DS. So, I don't know if it's something that can be fixed on this current platform, but definitely on the next handheld, whatever it may be, they've got to make it a lot easier to develop for. Not oh, only yeah. for large companies, but for small companies too. And maybe they should think about, um, I don't know, maybe like using more uh, engines from the West actually, you know, like more, j just make it easier for Western developers because from what we know how it works, like the, the support, like if the dev developers have questions, the, the, the questions have to be translated both ways. Like the tr questions and answers have to be translated and uh, it's just not, you know, it's just not very effective, um, especially in the early days of a platform. Uh, developers have questions and they don't get answers until weeks later. Yeah. yeah. Support-wise, they aren't very good with English support. Or North America. No, it seems like it. That's what that's what we keep hearing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, they've got a lot of development environment issues to deal with. Um, you know, and it seems to be worse actually on the handheld than it is for the console division, especially this generation. Yeah. Um, James, what do you think about all this? 3ds successor. I, I think uh, based on the tone of the conversation I'm hearing, I think you all are are way underestimating how far away it is. Because, really? yeah, because think of it this way. They'd have to relaunch a system, rebuild, rebuild a consumer base. Cause right now they have a fairly sizable consumer base. That system is also still selling fucking unbelievably in Japan. The, the top hmm. eight games sold in Japan this year, I believe seven of them are 3DS games. But Japan's also in a huge rut, so I mean, it, it may be relatively fine, dominant, but, but it's dominating I mean, no a very weak market. No one's buying consoles in Japan; right they're all now. buying handhelds, and that's yeah. fine because that means they're making money on it. It's it. I'm, I'm sure for they them, are. But for I'm just them, saying, right it could now, to be doing, I, I, it could probably be doing even better than it is. How? Because the market is so weak overall in Japan. To sell ten out of the top ten games, I, I mean, 
they, it's, it's more about how many units. I mean, the 3ds is a is a, their, their handheld hardware is a huge money maker for Nintendo. So if they're not selling the number of units that they software be, is they still will release a new hardware. Software still makes more money than hardware does, especially somebody else's software because you didn't spend a dime making it. That's that's that is what true profit is. So it seems like cutting your install base out right now when there's not necessarily a a super strong reason to because I don't think that I think seeing the sales tail off from the release of the XL is natural. It's been out what two years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could squeeze another hardware revision out, but I don't think I don't think releasing a new system in the next two years is probably the smartest decision they could make. If if I would say that it's got at the very least this Christmas and next Christmas unrivaled by another Nintendo console, a Nintendo handheld, because right now. Yes, there are there are not a lot of games from Western major developers coming out. There are none. But what's to say that releasing a new system is going to fix that? What's coming out on Vita from these companies that actually people want to play? We- well, yeah, Vita's even worse. I mean, a lot of the things that we've talked about with 3DS and the reasons that there isn't much development support, all that stuff is even worse on but Vita. But that's, tr- that's not true, though. It's, and- it's fairly easy to get a PS3 game running on Vita. Yeah, that's if you make PS3 games. I mean, a lot of companies don't do that either. But my point is that even if it is easier to make Vita games, I think it's still too hard for a lot of people. But even if it is relatively easy to make a game for Vita, why would you? The install base is atrocious, you know. So there's a lot of companies that don't want to release games on Vita, not because it's so expensive, although it is expensive to do like a big production game on Vita. But like nobody's nobody's going to buy it. You know, like there there aren't enough units out there to make it worthwhile. So 3DS doesn't have that problem. I think a lot of it on 3DS is its perception. Part of it's the perception that nobody wants to buy third-party games on the system. And I don't know if that's true, but if that is true, then that could probably be changed. You know, I think How? Nintendo probably should get involved in changing that. And and frankly, the caliber of games that third parties have made on 3DS are, just isn't very high. Well, and releasing a new platform—it's it's, it's pathetic compared to the stuff Nintendo's done for. Releasing it, a new platform well, is, that's is it, every Nintendo system ever. Swear to God, no, like, that's not. That's all that's you ever hear, true. man. It's, it's the same. It was the same with the Wii. I mean, it's always like that though with Nintendo. But, Nintendo never does anything to change it. My, well, well, Third parties well, have always screwed over Nintendo consoles and systems and handhelds. I mean, all outside of the DS, the DS that was. Well, e- even cow. then, go but, look at your DS library. How many games from Western publishers do you have? Not that many. True, truly Western. Not that many yeah. Western, but it, it, at least there were some great Japanese third-party games on DS and, and true, on true. 3DS. I don't even think that's true. I, I disagree. There are there are solid 3DS published games. 3DS Japanese developed non Nintendo developed games made in Japan. Unfortunately, Nintendo's having to do the burden of publishing them in the West. In many cases, which is truly unfortunate. They're, yeah, even the Japanese publishers don't want to release 3DS games over here. And I don't know how releasing a new handheld system and saying, hey, we're going to start over with a new install base is really going to engender that kind of confidence in the publishers. I just don't see what they'd look at and go, oh, good, a system with even less of an install base. It's still a Nintendo system. We're still going to have to deal with the impression that only Nintendo games sell on Nintendo systems. There, it doesn't, It doesn't help you solve that problem, releasing new hardware. All releasing That's new hardware. That's a fair point. All that does is say, I mean, hey, I'm going to reset back to zero. And the main reason I think that a, that a, a new 3DS or, or whatever follows 3DS is coming within the next couple of years is that the hardware sales are just – they're trending downwards so so steeply. And they never reach the peaks of DS or, or even GBA in the first place. 
So, uh, you know, I, I think we've seen it time and time again when, when the hardware falls off for their handhelds, Nintendo will do something. They will release a new revision or they will move on to the next thing. And I, th- I, and, uh, I think they've still got mo- ground to move on a revision at this point. They could, they, they may. What would, you, I mean, what would that be, James? Uh, so something like less chunky. Yeah. Yeah. Than, something than either one of the four factors. Something that right is, now. that is more portable in, in and of itself. I mean, something yeah. that, that you can move without having, because uh, a 2DS isn't really a full 3DS. Because it, it, and it's certainly not as portable because it's a fucking slate. Um, yeah, it's, the, it's the relatively X, large and it has pretty small screens. The XL is big and it looks nice, but it's big. Um, and then the original unit, it, which you can still get, is it's just not a very good unit. No, no really, it's really, they were there, were there room to maneuver is probably kill the original 3DS, drop the price of yeah. the other two slightly. And then release a new premium 3DS about the same form factor, but maybe let more of the, the actual space be devoted to screens because there is wasted space on both the top and the bottom of that system and just make the whole mm-hmm. thing nicer to use. Get rid of the Oreo cookie look that's going on in there. Make it nice and smooth <laughs> and just make it look like a, a, a nice piece of equipment. It doesn't have to be as big as the current one does. The battery technology they have now alone is better than they had when that system came out. That, will buy you some space yeah. by itself. I mean, there's yeah. there's a lot of things they can do to make a better 3DS that is smaller, has better screen technology, can just have bigger screens, really, and just ultimately is a more sexy piece of equipment that you may want to carry with you. There's, there's yeah, room I, I, to maneuver I, there. I, I bet they could do something that has about the same screen size as the XL, but put it on the original shell. Yeah. You know, something that's about the size of the original 3DS. The only, the, I bet that's possible. The only thing and, you'd have to do is uh, move and, the and speakers. Also, really? All of that need – everything on there needs to get a lot thinner. Yeah, and I'm sure it that, can That's now. the main problem with, with carrying around a 3DS. And that goes for both models, the, both but, uh, of the clamshell models. It's just way too thick to yeah. like – it's yeah. just not very pocketable. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, and for its size, it's very heavy. Well, especially like yeah. the, the original well, it's, one. Well, because it's super dense. The, 3DS, so. the original one is super yeah. fucking dense. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe – Maybe if it gets to the point where all 3DS, all 3DS retail software is released digitally, then maybe they can go PSP Go on it. Although I'm not sure that's a great idea. They're already there. Is every single retail game, Nintendo and not, released on the eShop? Every Nintendo game is, and I think pretty much every third-party game is, of which there are so few that who cares? So they could very easily say, "Okay, we're going to yeah. we're going to just release leave out the cartridge slot altogether." Of course, you'd lose DS compa- backwards compatibility. But they've done that before. But I think that's it's not... been long enough. That's probably acceptable. And then yeah. they use, you could lose that, and then they could also go roll back around and sell you .NDS files on the eShop. Fuck yes, because that's yes. because that's all. Yes. There's, by the way, all that's on a DS cartridge is a .NDS file, and the 3DS plays those natively. Mm-hmm. Just download it. That's it. You're done. Please. So, yes. So this, this is this this is PSP Go 2.0, but not shitty. 3ds Micro. 3DS Go. Uh, the 3ds. Uh. The 3ds Micro. No, I don't think that name's got got enough going for it. But some yeah, I like something it. with the you would Royalties. something with like a, a snappier <laughs> name that that says, look, we're getting rid of the cartridge slot. We're saving some money there, so they get to. The, to pocket a little bit more cash. This is a nicer unit, so we can charge a little bit more for it. We're going to drop the price of all the existing units down just a little bit 
to get their sales moving. And then we have this new unit that we can sell to people. And maybe they come up with some mechanism and say, hey, if you own the retail copy of these games. And, and oh, I don't think they'll bother with that. No, no, no. no. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> if you, you can do a system transfer at least. I mean you could all, – all your digital stuff you could take with you. I, I think they may even come up with some – look, if you own the retail copies, you have to still buy these again. But we'll make it so you can get your save because they do have a utility to move a save from oh, yeah. a retail can, to digital. You can already do that. Yeah, yeah I think I think they may give some time. kind of bridge mechanism. We'll get your saves off your retail cards on your original 3ds and let you move them on over. Besides that, I think you can own. already do that. But you'd have to have the digital version of the game on the first 3ds first. Maybe they. Oh, I see. I see. Get, give you oh, some okay. mechanism to get them off so you can get them onto the one, and then yeah, sure. incentivize you to buy those games again. I was like, well, your saves yeah, are still yeah. here, so you're good to go. I mean, yeah, hey, I've got the perfect name for it. The 3DX. Oh, God. Isn't that, I mean, you know, DX has a lot of meaning to the, the Japanese it market. It does. It does. It sounds yeah. similar, but it also sounds newer and better and a little, you know, a little sharper, a little more sophisticated maybe than, uh, than, than the 3DS. I think that name would work in, in, on both sides of the globe. I, I think that they need to get away from the DS naming scheme because uh, people were already, you know, confused well, enough. Well, this is this is a 3DS though, so there's no reason to get away yet. On the next system, yeah, get away from it. But right now, this is sure. a 3DS, yeah. hmm. so there, you don't want to get away from it. You want people to know, no, this is a 3DS, but this, this is, is just this the is best the premium, 3DS cool new version. But they they, yeah. they got away from it with a 2DS. No, well, they didn't. I, Not really. No, but no, the 2DS is so meta. It's no, the 2DS uh. doesn't even make sense unless you know that 3DS is a thing. Yeah, but I mean, it's it like if if you know the 3DS is a thing, and you see the 2DS, the joke you almost get it instantly. Like yeah, yeah. You, you oh, this is the 3DS doesn't do 3D. You asshole. Yeah, we we've spoken at length with ad, admiration for the 2DS name. Admiration of how crazy and bizarre it is. Yeah, and, and just just fucking like subversive almost. Yeah, but. it really is. I mean, I think they've got one more hardware revision in the system, and I think I think if they pull it right, this could be one that allows them to move the existing units of the hardware they've produced for the other models, and then produce a more highline 3DS that can. A, cut some corners on in terms of manufacturing costs, and B, maybe start to stage their digital-only future. Maybe say, look, mm -hmm, we've now got mm -hmm. a system in the market that is digital-only. We can prove to ourselves it works. We can experiment with marketing strategies for this kind of digital-only system. We can yeah. figure out how we want to do this because their next two systems, they got to make a call. Do they want to have retail releases on these systems? And Yeah, and I think, you know... I, you know, to me, because the, the Nintendo handhelds do traditionally sell really well, they've always been very strong. They've never gone through like a severe slump. Um, I, I think they could probably get away with going all digital on the next system. I don't know that, that I'm, I'm not predicting that they will. Cause I think, you know, for, for young people, it's, it's tricky, you know, like there's also my, that my desire new... to maintain your relationship with retailers, which means you have to have them well, stuff but... to sell for them to sell your system. But but they're going to sell your system, and unlike something like a PSP or a, especially a Vita, uh, Nintendo can tell retailers, look, people are going to go to your store to buy the system. They're also going to probably buy accessories uh, and, and things but like that. So margin. it's okay. They're probably not going in to buy 3DS retail games right now anyway, not that many. So, But the profit uh, margin on a retail you know, game versus on a hardware, even for the end retailer, is much better than on the hardware. Yeah, yeah, I know. But they've still got – they're selling eShop cards and 
you know, maybe maybe they could get away with it. I don't know if they would try it, but yeah, I, I, it's probably just reaching the, the way, point of possibility. They, I, I feel like they hmm. would definitely want to experiment before they committed to doing it on a platform itself. Yeah. It, it, Sony has tried something that I'm sure Nintendo doesn't want to repeat, and it's the whole proprietary uh, memory card thing. Oh, and thing. They, they never will. It, it's, oh. it's not their MO to make a proprietary memory card. I mean, no, yeah. but I mean, Sony was very specifically targeting retailers, trying to assuage their fears. Um, Sony just likes to make fucking proprietary memory units. They've been doing that. Yeah, for yeah, but a lot of that, a lot of that was, you know, to get to throw retailers a bone. But, but James, if if I understand your point, I think I agree with it. Which would be that, like, a third revision uh, of the uh, of the 3DS hardware would be a good time to experiment with right. a digital-only system look, because if it doesn't work out, whatever. they didn't ruin the 3DS and they haven't committed to that for the life of the right. platform with a brand new and, and And if you go look at the DSi, you see they some the same thing, beginning yeah. experimentation for what the 3DS digital presence was going to be. True. And yeah, that's a very good point, actually. This is, I like that. This is their, their – this gives them – let's say they give that, that thing a year and a half. Because they don't mm-hmm. tend to release their, their their a lot of their handhelds recently have come out with like middle of the year, kind of maybe March somewhere in that time frame. So they, let's say they give it that new system a year and see how it's doing, and then they can kind of make a decision of they can make a lot of decisions probably in the first six months. Say okay, this isn't working. Let's try to back off that, and we can focus more on this component of how I want the system to work. I mean, Microsoft rejiggered the entire business model of the Xbox One. Between when they announced mm-hmm. it and when they released the damn thing, if they haven't yeah, announced and the Nintendo stuff, Nintendo has a penchant for announcing handheld revisions very shortly before they yeah, put them on the market, the, like sometimes less than two months. I tell you, in this case, it might be smart for them to do it in the West first because the hardware sales are still, as yeah. you said, James, pretty brisk in Japan. So maybe they don't need the revision there. I think they kind of need it here. It's slowed down a ton. Yeah, and-, and if they really want to push, you know, something like Smash Brothers on 3DS this year, it'd be pretty smart to release a hardware revision that's targeted at, you know, uh, you know, an, an older, uh, you know, someone who has a little bit more money, who's not interested whatsoever in something like the 2DS. I think it would make a lot of sense to release your new revision in the West alongside a big, a big game. You know, and Smash Brothers might be one of the last really huge game releases on that system. Uh, so if I you're would... going to release a hardware revision, that'd be a good time to do it. I'd guess we'd probably get at least a couple more, a couple more biggish games that come out. Biggish, but the the rate has slowed down, and I think it will continue to. And you know, I mean, the 3DS certainly will will have a big presence in in uh, you know Christmas 2015. But is it going to have a huge like game release around that time? Mm, I'm not so sure. I think you know, Codename Steam will have already been out for a while. I think that's coming out we're early probably, next year. I mean, if if we're being honest, we're probably going to get another Mario game in that time frame. Uh, maybe there'll definitely be a new Pokemon. Yeah, but, uh, uh, we, but, yes. but nothing like really big and fresh and exciting. Uh, it, it'll be kind of the the usual suspects, I think, in 2015. It'll be the kind of thing that happens in like the last hurrah, you know, like the last big successful holiday season for a platform. It'll be the kind of games you would expect. We'll to probably see get about three period. or four more Kirby games in there. Basically, <laughs> definitely. Uh, all right, so uh, it, it sounds like you know we're we're all looking forward to whatever it is. I mean, I can say like you know I've had the Excel for almost two years now, and I and I I still like the the system a lot, but 
there's enough things that are kind of piling up that I that I wish were better. Uh, that I, I, I'm totally ready for a, a revision. If that's what ends up happening, I, I'd pony up for it in a heartbeat. Thank you uh, for uh, writing in, Mr. Vega, and everybody else. We will uh, get back to more emails next time. And the address, of course, is rfn at nintendoworldreport.com. Before we go, I want to remind you that uh, you can hear me as a guest on Player One Podcast, Episode 402. It's a ton of fun if you've never heard that show before. I think you will enjoy it quite a bit. So uh, please go check that out over at uh, p1podcast.com, I think, or player1podcast.com. Anyway, you can find it. It's on iTunes. It's super easy to find. And uh, you can hear Guillaume with our friend TYP over on Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. We plugged it a little bit last week. I've heard the episode now. It's a really good one, and there's some fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, surprising music on there. There was one game. There's one game I'm not going to spoil, but I'll say I was listening to the, the songs and I thought, this is amazing. I might go buy this just for the music and then found out later I already own it. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I'm going to have to go play more of it, obviously. But uh, some, it's a great episode. So uh, definitely check that out as well. Very good music. Minimal talking. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> just the kind of podcast Radio loves. Trivia. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. It's the opposite of my appearances on there. So anyway, that's it. Enjoy your summer gaming, and uh, we'll hit you up next time here on Radio Free Nintendo. Bye. Farewell. Farewell.